The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Volume 4. The Medieval World. Episode 62. The Askaga Shogunate. We pick up our story of Japanese history from the end of the episode on the period of the Kamakura Shogunate where the Emperor Go-Daigo had instigated the Kenmu Restoration. Japan had always been traditionally under the rule of the Emperor who controlled the Imperial Court. For a number of centuries, the Imperial Court of Japan had been located in Kyoto towards the west of the islands. Much of the islands were made up of clans who had originated from family units. Some of these clans became very powerful and would endeavour to influence the imperial court and reduce the position of emperor to a ceremonial role by marrying into the imperial line and becoming regents to child emperors. Tensions would increase between some of the clans on a national level as a consequence, and one of the clans, the Minamoto, would oppose the Taira clan, who had strong influence over the imperial court. During the Genpei War, the Minamoto defeated the Taira clan and established a centre of power in a city called Kamakura in the east of the islands. The ruler in the east was referred to as the shogun and represented the head of a military administration. Over time, this military administration or shogunate began to exert more power and influence over the imperial court until the country was effectively under the rule of the shogunate. The invasions of the Mongols in the late 13th century had a disastrous effect on the economy of Japan and, as is often the case in such circumstances, rebellions rose up against the shogunate. It was during this period that the Emperor Go-Daigo saw an opportunity to shift the balance of power away from the shogunate and back towards the imperial court. The shogunate sent forces under the samurai known as Ashikaga Takauji to defend against the aggressions of the army under the leadership of Emperor Go-Daigo. But when Takauji switched sides and joined Go-Daigo against the shogunate, this was the beginning of the end. Imperial forces marched on Kamakura 
and the members of the Hojo clan that had been in control of the shogunate chose suicide rather than be killed. What followed was the Kenmu Restoration, where the imperial court was now back in control of Japan. Emperor Godaigo's actions in the aftermath of the Kenmu Restoration would have repercussions for him. During the period of the Genko War which pitted Godaigo against the Kamakura shogunate, a number of samurai warriors defected to the side of the imperial court, turning their back on the Bakfu, the office of the shogunate. The samurai may have expected to have been rewarded for their loyalty to the imperial court, but Godaigo chose not to reward them. Many historians have outed this as a grave mistake by Godaigo. But in a country in economic turmoil, Godaigo probably had to make some tough decisions. In order to reward samurai clans, he may have needed to take away from trusted and loyal landowners, and he may have felt that by denying rewards to the samurai, he could curtail their power and influence and prevent a further uprising, but that is just my opinion. More recently, there has been a wave of opinion that Godaigo did an effective job of appropriating land to his subjects. If Godaigo did not trust the samurai classes, then it would also make sense for him not to gift them potentially lucrative landholdings. Likewise, the turncoat Asukaga Takauji, who was an integral part of restoring Emperor Godaigo back onto the chrysanthemum throne in Kyoto, may have been harbouring ambitions of becoming the new shogun, politically in charge of the military administration throughout this entire episode. As it was, Godaigo gave Takauji a role just as a lowly councillor, and Takauji would be far from satisfied about this. While this was going on, a member of the Hojo clan who had survived the Genko War attempted to take back control of the eastern city of Kamakura, and Takauji decided to act in order to prevent a Hojo re-emergence. Authority for this act had not been granted by Emperor Godaigo. Nonetheless, Takauji managed to defeat the Hojo uprising and take control of Kamakura, declaring himself as the new shogun. At the time, the emperor's own son, Prince Moriyoshi, had been acting as the shogun in Kamakura himself, but Takauji's brother, Asikaga Tadayoshi, had been holding Prince Moriyoshi as a hostage, so members of the Asikaga family were in effective control of the shogunate when the Hojo uprising happened. The uprising is also known as the Nakasendai Rebellion. When Asikaga Tadayoshi had to flee Kamakura, rather than take Prince Moriyoshi with him, he had him beheaded. This meant that when Asikaga Takauji came back to reclaim Kamakura from the Hojo, Takauji 
could declare himself as the new shogun. Emperor Go-Daigo was outraged and declared Takauji an outlaw. One of the samurai who had defected to and had been loyal to the imperial court was the leader of the Nita clan, Nita Yoshisada. Yoshisada had been a key element to Godaigo's success in overthrowing the Kamakura shogunate at the beginning of the Kenmu restoration. But when the Asukaga clan had sought to undermine imperial control of the Bakfu, this brought Yoshisada into a natural enmity with Asukaga Takauji. Now that Takauji was seen as an outlaw to the nation of Japan, Emperor Go-Daigo would call upon Yoshisada to deal with the problem. The Asikaga brothers were working incredibly hard to rally support for their cause against the imperial court and Go-Daigo may have underestimated how much support that they would get. It is fair to say that there was some significant anti-imperial sentiment in many areas of Japan, not just the lands close to Kamakura in the east. Imperial forces led by Nita Yoshisada clashed with the rebel forces of the Asukaga brothers. The two forces initially did battle in the middle of the main Japanese island of Honshu, near the modern city of Nagoya, but there were many battles that took place across the centre of Japan. Due to the numerical superiority of the Asukaga, Yoshisada's forces were pushed back towards Kyoto, much to the horror of the Emperor Go-Daigo. For a period of time, the forces of Takauji fought hard to push the Emperor Go-Daigo out of Kyoto, but they did not find it easy. On one occasion where Go-Daigo fled Kyoto, he would return within a few months to retake control. Ultimately, the forces of Takauji won out and Go-Daigo would be permanently removed from Kyoto. Go-Daigo, although effectively in exile, still had a considerable amount of support in the country, so now Japan was somewhat divided. Takauji would enter Kyoto where he declared that Godaigo had forfeited the right to rule, and then he declared a replacement emperor, a cousin of Godaigo called Komyo. Emperor Komyo then declared that Takauji was officially the new shogun. Despite Godaigo being expelled from the imperial capital city, he did not accept this as a legal dethroning and still considered himself to be the true emperor. He went south to the Yoshino Mountains and established his imperial court there. So now Japan had two imperial courts. This period of Japanese history is called the Nambokcho period, known in English as the North and South Court period. The prominent power of Japan was with the shogun, Takauji, and so this period is known as the period of the Asukaga shogunate, which would also be alternatively known as the Muromachi shogunate. Nanbukcho period 
The difference between the Kamakura shogunate and the Askaga shogunate was that the Askaga family chose to base themselves in the traditional imperial city of Kyoto. The Kamakura shogunate was based over in the east of Japan. The northern imperial court's administration was somewhat absorbed into the military administration of the shogun, the Bakfu, as time moved forward, with the high-ranking samurai of the shogunate living more of an aristocratic lifestyle, normally more recognisable with the high-ranking members of the imperial court. The imperial regalia had been taken south by Godaigo, and this was a problem for the northern court who, according to one story, had been duped into ceremonially taking fake regalia from the emperor Godaigo while he was being exiled, believing it to be authentic. So this validated the southern court, despite it being the weaker party of the two. The Emperor Godaigo passed away in 1339, but the Southern Court continued to exist as a separate entity in opposition to the Northern Court and the Shogunate. Things were not all going smoothly in the North, though, and Asakaga Takauji was demonstrating that he wasn't as effective as a national leader as he needed to be, and this would actually cause dissension between him and his brother Asakaga Tadayoshi who was a capable and conservative administrator. Essentially, they both believed that Japan should be ruled in totally different ways, and this would result in a lot of friction between the two. The result of this friction was something called the Kanno Disturbance. Despite Tadayoshi being a much more reliable administrator of Japan, Takauji employed the services of a samurai called Kono Moronao to be his deputy. As deputy, Moronao forced Tadaoshi out of government and into a monastery. Tadaoshi was not ready for retirement though, so he defected to the southern court in Yoshino, and he raised a rebellion with the blessing of the southern emperor. In 1351, Tadayoshi and the southern army successfully took control of Kyoto from his brother Takauji. Tadayoshi had Kono Moronao executed before Takauji fought back against Tadayoshi, with the result being a reconciliation between the two brothers. Tadayoshi would mysteriously die, possibly poisoned, the following year. Takauji was now back in sole control of Kyoto, but the southern court was buoyed by their apparent ability to be a viable threat to the northern court, who continued to attack Kyoto in the aftermath. The southern court was successful in taking Kyoto in 1355, but it was a temporary situation as the northern court managed to regain control again. Ashikaga Takauji, despite not being the most capable ruler, was by no means an unintelligent man. He would be a man who would compose poetry and promote the construction of temples dedicated to the Zen branch of Buddhism, which was popular in Japan. Takauji passed away in 1358, having lived a life that changed the direction of Japan indelibly. 
However, there were still issues that needed addressing within the country in general. Firstly, the son of Takauji, Asukaga Yoshiakira, who took over from his father as the new shogun, took steps to appoint governors working on behalf of the shogun on a localised level. These governors were called Shugo. The position of Shugo was already existing in Japan before this period, but Yoshiakira used the Shugo to good effect. They would serve as military provincial governors of the shogunate. Yoshiakira had played an important role in the defence and recapture of the capital city of Kyoto from the southern court throughout the 1350s while serving under his father, Takauji. During Yoshiakira's tenure as the shogun, the political situation in Japan did not improve. Various individuals defected from the northern court, probably in a bid to save their own skin as the southern court continued to attack the northern court in a bid to regain control of Kyoto. Yoshiakira died in his 30s, and the position of the shogun passed down to his 10-year-old son, Asukaga Yoshimitsu. As one would expect, Yoshimitsu would initially have to come of age before he could be in any way effective, but his approach and his ambitions would be different to that of his father and his grandfather. Although he was born of a samurai class, he would look to climb the ladder of the bureaucratic system in order to gain the knowledge, experience and respect required to be an effective member of the governorship of Japan. As such, he would become an important part of the Japanese political system, holding the position of a number of important ministerial roles. During this period, tensions between the northern court and the southern court were as relevant as ever, and Yoshimitsu would seek to do something about it. With there being two emperors, one in the north and one in the south, an agreement needed to be reached between the two courts about how the two courts could move forward peacefully. It was agreed that in order to allow both courts to be recognised, that emperors from the northern and southern court should be allowed to rule for a 10-year period in alternation to each other. In 1392, the southern emperor, Gokemiyama, would contact Yoshimitsu and arranged to officially abdicate and hand the legitimate imperial regalia over to the Emperor of the Northern Court, Emperor Gokomatsu. This would symbolise the end of the Nambokcho Wars and the closing of the Nambokcho period. Traditional Japanese recognition of the imperial line actually followed the line of the Southern Court, so even though Gokomatsu was already the Emperor of the Northern Court, he wouldn't officially be recognised as the 100th traditional emperor of Japan until the abdication of Emperor Gokamiyama of the Southern Court, officially recognised as the 99th traditional emperor of Japan. Despite the terms of the truce between the two courts establishing that the role of emperor be switched between the two imperial family lines every 10 years, this didn't happen, as Gokamatsu did not abdicate after 10 years and remained on the chrysanthemum throne for 20 years before
before abdicating in favour of his own son, rather than the other imperial family line which had ruled the southern court. Before moving on, it's worth mentioning the continuing work conducted by Ashikaga Yoshimatsu during his lifetime. We already know that he acceded to the role of shogun as a child and on the death of his father, and we also know that he ascended the ranks of the bureaucratic system. Since the period when the Mongols had attempted to invade Japan during the 13th century, the Japanese economy had suffered somewhat, and there was a notable upturn in Japanese piracy. These Japanese pirates, who are referred to as Woku, would raid the coasts of both Korea and China. The Koreans would send diplomats to Japan to alert them of the problem and encourage the Japanese to do something about it. The Japanese were not interested in creating bad relationships with the mainland nations and so Japanese governors would attempt to ruin the pirates. Japanese piracy was not only a problem for Korea and China but also for Japan itself. Yoshimitsu was himself very highly concerned about the effects that Japanese piracy would have on the relationship between Japan and China, one that had not really had any relevance in recent centuries due to Japanese isolationism and China having other things to concern itself with. This particular political situation was established before the economic damage inflicted on Japan by the Mongol invasions. And now there was an interest in Japan developing international relations. So by Yoshimitsu clamping down on the Waku raids on China, he would establish a new diplomatic relationship with China, now under its Ming dynasty. And this would go on to become a significant trade relationship too, something that could revitalise the Japanese economy. As such, the respect that Yoshimitsu had gained from the Chinese imperial court was considerable, to the point where Yoshimitsu was declared by China as Nihon Kokuo, roughly translated as the King of Japan. In reality, Yoshimitsu was a retired shogun, but he would continue to work as if he were still the shogun. Yoshimitsu appeared to have a great deal of regard for himself as an icon of Japan and would seemingly portray himself as a king of sorts in line with the style of religious authority which could normally be seen by rulers in mainland nations of Far East Asia. Yoshimitsu passed away after living a highly eventful and productive life in 1408 and he was only 49 years of age. As shogun, Yoshimitsu spent time living in the Muromachi area of Kyoto, which has led some historians to call the Askaga shogunate by the alternative name Muromachi shogunate. The 15th century. Sino-Japanese relationships, those that Japan had with China, certainly helped the economical situation of Japan, but this was not necessarily a turning point for Japan as other factors would affect the nation. Not everyone in Japan was enjoying the benefits of a stronger economy, especially in the country, and plagues and famines would result in great dissatisfaction among the peasantry. 
the Ashikaga shogunate was not able to achieve anything in order to help the situation, so predictably there were peasant uprisings. This would be a problem for the local governors or Shugo, who would have to solve their own problems either by creating their own wealth and supporting their own province or by standing up for the peasants against the shogunates. Either way, the established hierarchy of rulership of the Japanese provinces was starting to show fractures. The inadequacies of the shogunate would cause the families who had traditionally supported the southern court during the Nambokcho period to question why the northern emperors had ignored the southern imperial line since the peace settlement of 1392. In Kyoto, the renewed trade agreements with China had brought about a golden age in prosperity with considerable advancements in architecture, especially in relation to Zen Buddhist temples. Outside the capital city, there was suffering and unrest, and supporters of the now defunct southern court entered the city of Kyoto in 1443 and stole the imperial regalia. So the shogunate had to organise military action against this new wave of support for the descendants of the southern imperial line. With there being difficulties in the countryside, the Shugo, who were the provincial governors on behalf of the shogun, were finding it difficult to govern their provinces effectively. Local feudal lords who made their living within these provinces started becoming unsettled and militant in their bid to not slip into helpless poverty. These local feudal lords are referred to as daimyo, and their willingness to fight for survival in some cases would make them more powerful than their ineffective sugo. At times during Japanese history, there had been cause for the government of the country to effect something called tokseirei, the act of returning lost lands or writing off debts. This was particularly useful when attempting to alleviate the stress on the samurai lords who were trying to make ends meet following the invasion of the Mongols almost 200 years previous. The Askaga shogunate was exercising the act of Tokseire, but on this occasion it was having a negative effect on the economy as a whole, with too many debts being written off to prevent further uprisings. Since the replacement of the Kamakura shogunate in the 14th century, the new Askaga shogunate had centred itself at the capital city of Kyoto, choosing to let Kamakura be ruled as a separate entity under the shogunate as a whole. This effectively made Kamakura a capital city of the east, and over time it would have quite an independent view of itself, probably because it was quite a distance away geographically from all of the drama of the Nambokcho period of the late 14th century and its fallout in the aftermath. The ruler of Kamakura and its dependent territories was referred to as the Kanto Kubo, named because of the region of Japan that was directly governed from Kamakura, namely Kanto. Due to its independent nature, the Kanto Kubo would often see himself as equivalent to the shogun in Kyoto. In general, it seems that the Asukaga shogunate was losing its authority 
as local leaders were taking matters into their own hands due to the weakness or inability for the shogunate to solve the problems caused by the mismanagement of Japan's economy and the futility of the situations caused by famines in the countryside. The Odin War The rise of the daimyo from within the provinces would inevitably cause tension between rival daimyo as they scrambled for their own slice of power within Japan. Asukaga Yoshimasa was a child when he became the shogun during the 1440s and during his childhood as shogun this is when supporters of the southern court were attempting to recapture the imperial regalia from Kyoto. The shogunate managed to suppress the supporters of the southern court before Yoshimasa came of age. When he did come of age, the daimyo and clans close to the shogunate had already started their power playing against each other. Yoshimasa went through his twenties without producing an heir to the title of shogun and so he adopted his younger brother Asikaga Yoshimi, so that he could secure the succession. It was within a year or two after this declaration that Yoshimasa actually did have a son, but by now there were those who were already looking forward to seeing Yoshimi become the next shogun. As one might expect, the mother of the new baby belonged to a highly influential clan and she was also very keen to see her son become the new shogun, also so that her clan may remain in a position of influence. Her name was Hino Tomiko, and she had come from the highly influential Hino clan that had provided consorts for the shogun on a number of occasions. With the Hino clan understanding that they would have opposition to their bid to ensure that the shogun's newborn son would become the next shogun, they would rally support from other clans. Those clans who worked more closely with the shogun's brother, Asikaga Yoshimi, would stand against this coalition instigated by Hino Tomiko, and tensions between the two factions boiled over in the city of Kyoto, and this was the start of the Onin War. One of Tomiko's chief military leaders was a man called Yamana Sozen, nicknamed the Red Monk. Sozen was one of the most powerful daimyo, but for his part in supporting Tomiko, he was declared a national rebel. Sozen's son-in-law was a man called Hosokawa Katsumoto, and Sozen resented the fact that Katsumoto was effectively a deputy to the shogun, and as such wielded a good amount of political power. This is why Sozen was ready to be at the forefront of Tomiko's rebellion. Fighting between the two sides was centred in Kyoto, with both factions battling to occupy as much of the city as possible. In trying to wrestle control from each other, many buildings were targeted, which was disastrous for Kyoto as a city, as this glorious capital was now being destroyed. The warfare became protracted, with Kyoto effectively split into two halves. 
Both sides could spend long periods of time just monitoring each other, with more buildings being targeted here and there. During the earliest exchanges of the war, Yoshimasa's younger brother, adopted son and heir to the seat of the shogun, Ashikaga Yoshimi, spent a lot of his time outside of Kyoto. His brother, Yoshimasa, demanded that he come back to Kyoto, but Yoshimi had no real interest in supporting his brother and defected to the rebels. This made a mockery of the whole facade of the war coming about in the first place as it was all about who would succeed to the role of shogun after Yoshimasa retired. The true reason for the war was all to do with power playing between the shogun and his loyal supporters and the various daimyo who wanted to enjoy the spoils of being on the winning side in a war against their opposing daimyo. Yoshimasa decided to declare that it would now be his son that would be his true successor. The war continued. Now it was all about the eastern camp that had been loyal to the shogun, consisting of Hosokawa Katsumoto and his allies, against the western camp, the rebels, who were fronted by Yamana Sozen, and was now supported by the shogun's younger brother, Ashikaga Yoshimi. In 1473, both Sozen and Katsumoto died within weeks of each other. Despite both camps losing their talismanic leaders, the war continued still. Then, Yoshimasa decided to abdicate as shogun in favour of his infant son, Asikaga Yoshihisa. Yoshimasa assumed a regency role to the child shogun and the war continued. But due to the expense and devastation to the city of Kyoto, the intensity of the war diminished until things finally fizzled out in 1477. It was the eastern camp who ended up with the upper hand, with the Hosokawa clan being dominant and therefore having a high level of influence over the shogun. There was little of the way of a resolution for the people of the countryside, still having to resort to rebellions to be able to salvage something from their pitiful lives. The city of Kyoto had been destroyed through years of warfare. Aftermath of the war. The Asikaga, as a ruling clan, were now incredibly weak, with the Hosokawa clan pulling many of the strings by now. The daimyo did not behave according to shogunate authority as the Shugo had done. The daimyo simply took care of their own affairs. This meant that warfare was commonplace between the daimyo and this had led to a period following the Onin War being referred to as the Warring States period, also called the Sengoku period, which aids us in avoiding confusion with the Chinese Warring States period which we covered in Volume 3 and started almost 2,000 years earlier. Some state that the feudal system of Japan collapsed during this period, but in reality it just adapted to be of direct service to the daimyo rather than to the shogunate. 
the daimyo, would require an offer of manpower to fight on behalf of his territory in return for the protection of the territory. Families would ensure that their lands would pass down to sons rather than daughters, which had been the tradition. So now daughters were simply used to intermarry with clans and families with which a clan might want to develop a political bond with. The civil tensions continued into the 16th century with the Asukaga shogunate pretty much having no power at all remaining. Shin Buddhists would support the uprising of groups of rebels called the Iko-Iki, who opposed the daimyo and sought to displace and in some cases subsequently replace the useless shogunate. Iko-Iki would rise up in various areas of Japan and would be comprised of various local priests, merchants and peasants. When the Iko-Iki started becoming more powerful and more militant, this created a difficult situation for the Shin Buddhists, who, as much as they wanted their temples defended, could not advocate violence. Many people had become so desperate that they had gone into business for themselves. Despite the missions being sent between Japan and China to continue the success of the trade relationship, more waku or pirates had started becoming active again along the Chinese coast, something that would unnerve the Chinese about Japanese control of their own nation. At the beginning of the 16th century, China had been visited by Portuguese explorers, and subsequent trade relationships had been set up, which somewhat devalued the trade relationship between China and Japan. Now China could choose to deprioritise its precarious relationship with Japan for more favourable trade relationships with wealthy Europeans. The Portuguese eventually visited Japan in 1543 and they saw a direct opportunity to trade with the Japanese. Innovative incendiary weapons had been introduced to Japan through trade with China during the Onin War in the previous century and the Portuguese subsequently introduced musket long guns and cannons to Japan. The daimyo were very keen to do business with the wealthy Portuguese traders who developed an interest in Japanese silver and gold. With the Portuguese arriving and witnessing the abundant energy of the Japanese who were constantly fighting each other, the Portuguese could not help but be in admiration of them. The fact that Japan was disunified was a good thing for the Portuguese as free trade is much easier in a disunified country as opposed to a highly regulated or governed unity. At home, the Portuguese had been exposed to a new papally approved Christian order called the Jesuits, started by a group of Christians who sought to live a pure monastic lifestyle. The Jesuit order was introduced to Japan as a consequence and one Japanese daimyo saw an opportunity to use the Jesuit order to his favour. He was a daimyo called Oda Nobunaga and he was powerful enough to have ambitions of some form of unification in Japan. Some Buddhist sects had become quite troublesome within Japan and Nobunaga saw them as a problem that needed to be brought under control. 
Nobunaga would encourage many of the daimyo on the western island of Kyushu to convert to Christianity. Not only would this unite them against the dangerously influential Buddhist sects in operation, but it would also put them in pole position when the Portuguese came to trade their weaponry. Portuguese traders mainly dealt with the people in the west of Japan, and so it should come as no surprise that Japanese Christians who are alive today are centred on the west since the contact of the Portuguese back in the 16th century. Nobunaga made some fundamental reforms within his area of influence and destroyed Buddhist centres which were seen as problematic. He would utilise new weapons such as the Portuguese muskets to bolster his army and he would be wily in his choice about whether to create alliances or enemies. He was bold and successful and it would not take him long to advance from the west to a position where he could enter Kyoto. When he reached Kyoto, he would be able to become directly influential over the succession of the shogun. And once he had ensured that Ashikaga Yoshiaki had become the shogun after the assassination of his older brother, Nobunaga deposed Yoshiaki and subsequently ended the era of the Ashikaga shogunate in the year 1573. Nobunaga would go on to unify Japan, putting an end to the ineffective shogunate and bringing a more prosperous period to Japan. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you very much indeed for listening to this week's episode of the podcast on Asakaga Japan. Now, this episode was the last in the series of medieval Japanese episodes. Next time we're going to Korea. So we're going to explore the history of the Korean Peninsula. So we'll we'll make mention of Japan again. Um, in the second of those two episodes but uh, other than that more detail about Japan and the period after the Asukaga shogunate will be in volume five now if you enjoy the podcast and you would like to support the podcast and you may be pleased to know that you can go along to the history of the world podcast.com website click on the patreon link and there you can sign up to make a monthly contribution you will become a lifelong member of the history of the world podcast illuminati and you will qualify for gifts and rewards all of them are outlined on the patreon site uh we uh we covered everyone on the last episode so we've done sort of two quite uh quick succession episodes so i've got no new members of the illuminati to introduce to you this week there was about half a dozen um in the last episode but hopefully in the next one we'll we'll have some 
some people to welcome in. It might be you. Um, if you want to access bonus material or you would like to listen to the podcast ad free, then you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. So uh, if you go along there now, you should see a bonus episode about some of the materials used to create this very episode that you're listening to now. So I recommend that if you're interested in uh, hearing about a bit of the background and some of the resources that I used. And if you would like to get in touch with the podcast, then drop me a line at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com. I tend to read all of your messages out, so I'll try and get round to them all in turn. Listener messages and reviews. Thomas Shea has written in. He's a long-time uh, friend of the podcast. He's put, I love the theme song. I love the way it evolves from volume to volume. Don't change a thing. I see your theme music as an imagined leather-bound cover of the podcast, and it's another extension of you and your authorship of this intellectual property. I don't think you should ever farm that farm out that work you do a great job on that and of course on the phenomenal podcast i'm revisiting volume 4 episode 25 and spotify now has read-along lyrics which really increases the educational value for me it makes it so much easier for me to remember this stuff being able to see the names printed out on screen it's a fantastic new feature on spotify i don't know if it's if it has every episode done yet, but it certainly has every word of the episode I'm listening to. thought you might appreciate the positive input. Um, I started listening to your podcast a little over a year ago, and I'm now just a handful of episodes away from having caught up with everything you've done. I'm writing today to comment on the History of the World magazine. I think it's a great idea. It sort of mirrors my experience listening to the podcast, listening to episode after episode, and then realising my knowledge is not cemented, going back and listening to older podcasts I've already listened to repeatedly. I was just going to say that in addition to visiting podcast episodes from the same day historically, you could also start visiting them based on theme. Example, Civil War and share two or three episodes where Civil War was the subject or Divine Intervention, moments in history where the witnesses to the events were certain that a god was involved in the results you've done multiple episodes on religion and i believe medicine and technology and you could consider changing the name from history of the world podcast magazine to history of the history of the world podcast magazine anyway great work keep it up i remain a lifelong fan and illuminati member thank you so much thomas i just address there was three main points i think there that um was interesting to uh, to look into um i get mixed responses about my attempts at the theme music i would love it if people would submit theme musics that could potentially be used in the episodes i would love that and uh, indeed somebody did attempt to do it on and if you go to the um to the history of the world podcast discussion forum which isn't very active but has had a lot of activity if you scroll down so if you go to the interact section on the history of the world podcast.com website and go to the uh, go to the discussion forum which is the first link you'll find that somebody did attempt to make uh, a version of the podcast but it was some it was last year that they did it and I've not heard anything since, but it was a wonderful version, and I'd love—I would really love to be able to use it. But I'm—I'm I'm not sure if the the gentleman who 
created it is um, still around or still on the scene. Um, anyway, um, I, I love farming that sort of thing now. It, it, it gets other people involved and, 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 and you know, they, they become a part of the podcast, become a part of the experience and the journey. Um, I was interested to hear about the Spotify lyrics, um, or it's like a transcript, but I think it's created based on sort of art, artificial intelligence, effectively. It sort of um, creates a transcript based on the based on my vocalization so when my voice isn't always or when I'm my literation isn't always at, the, at its clearest it it can sometimes misread a word and then there's a lot of words that I use that are quite strange or or obscure let's say so I might, I might be talking about societies that are not often spoken about really in everyday uh, in everyday speech or in, you know, a, 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 a robotic transcript won't know the the name of the society that I'm talking about. So that can be a flaw. But essentially, I think if, if people can read it and, you know, maybe if English isn't their first language, it can make it a lot more accessible. So it's a, it sounds like a wonderful thing, doesn't it? And then the other thing was uh, this History of the World podcast magazine. Yes, I do go back to the episodes that were published on this day in history. But Thomas, I think you've got a fantastic idea about having them themed. So I'm very interested. Everyone who's listening to this very episode now, have you got maybe a theme that I could revisit um, something that you've enjoyed listening to on previous podcasts that you'd like to maybe hear again or you'd like to hear in collaboration with um, similar uh, material from other episodes. I'd love to do that. I think it's a fantastic idea, Thomas, and, and I, think it's, um, I think it's got some mileage in it. So anyone who wants a themed History of the World podcast magazine, let me know and I'll start looking back in the archives. Anyway, that's it for this week. I'm just going to leave it there. Thanks very much for the messages, Thomas. The next major episode will be on Korea. So we'll be looking forward to that. And also, don't forget to go along and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. It's not that expensive and you get access to the bonus material, which is 10-minute episodes about what resources we use to write the episode that you've listened to today. So consider that anyway thank you so much for listening and until next time be good the history of the world podcast written and presented by chris hasler please consider making a financial contribution by going to the history of the world podcast.com website and clicking on the patreon link email the show at history of the world podcast at mail.com and don't forget to join our social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr. See you next time.